The challenges of climate change and sustainability pushes farmers to consider alternative farming methods. Regenerative agriculture, farming with nature, is trending. And this week, we share a guide on how farmers can start a small regenerative farm in Mzanzi. Namboale Kalunga, Netifum's technical advisor in Zambia, joins us this week to talk about how farmers can irrigate efficiently with limited resources. Kuliso Madima's corporate background as an IT practitioner has helped her run her family business, a subtropical farm in Limpopo. Like so many farmers, she wears many hats, from HR manager to financial manager and farm manager. And this week, she's crowned our hashtag soil sister. She's one of the dynamic women selected for the Corteva Woman Agripreneur 2022 program. And our farmer tip of the week comes from Leona Archery, CEO of the Agricultural Development Agency. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 139 of Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Dornumdu. Now we kick off with that promise guide on how farmers can start a small regenerative farm in Mzanzi. Nicole Ludolf chats to Eastern Cape regenerative farmers, Karen and Roger Galloway. Nicole, over to you. Thank you so much, Dawn. Roger and Karen, there are many regenerative farming systems or philosophies to choose from. When you first started your farm, what made you choose permaculture as the system you want to practice? When we first started here about three and a half, four years ago, we weren't even aware of the concept of regenerative agriculture. I did a permaculture course many years ago, and we had a little bit of experience with farming God's way. So it was only in the last sort of three, four years that we started to become aware of regenerative agriculture as a concept. There's a lot of crossover with permaculture and the regenerative agriculture. Karen's knowledge that she's acquired for the, the mob grazing, the ultra high density grazing, was quite impressive over a short period of time. And then we certainly do use the no-till method there. But when you talk about specific factors, the whole thing about permaculture is considering all the factors, all the elements, and how they interact with each other, and then designing the systems accordingly. We design farm from scratch with everything in mind. So with the water management, with fencing, with the movement of people, animals, the location of animals in relation to each other, in relation to the veg or their compost systems, and then even the types of animals that we chose. The regenerative thing, like Rog said, I had explored ultra-high-density strip grazing as a means for optimizing grazing and restoring grassland health. So when we lived at Tebe, when we were renting a little plot there, we'd practiced a little bit on that. And I had seen how much grass we had compared to the commons that were grazed by people who were living in the village around us. So I'd already been pretty convinced that the ultra-high-density strip grazing was a very effective way of growing and restoring grasslands. Roger said because of the permaculture thing and because of us having practiced on rented properties before us, the idea of keeping things central, like using space carefully and the time that it takes you to do things, using those carefully. And obviously also because we lived in the former Transkei, the idea of doing things efficiently but not expensively was also something that was in our mind, not to splash out on fancy systems, but to try and make the systems very efficient, but low cost, I guess. So if there's a simple, not complex thing that relies on lots of other external factors, 
so to trying to set up the farm in a similar way that we didn't depend on a lot of external factors, but we could try and self-rely as much as possible, which isn't completely possible to do, but that was something we were aiming for as well. How expensive is it to set up a regenerative smallholding? Our setup here is terming it a homestead. So it's holistically managing all the different systems. So it's not just large-scale monocrop. It's all the different systems and how they work together to support each other. So the capital outlay might be X, but the running costs should be less because you're feeding your waste from one element to the other. It's just hard to compare a small-scale diverse system with medium to large-scale monocrop. My grandparents were farmers and it's so interesting what we're doing here now is very similar to what they did in the 1940s, whereas very different from what most conventional agriculture is these days. Kind of we've progressively regressed. So we've actually got quite similar systems to something 70 years ago. Like Roger said, ours is kind of modular, but also all the different things feed into each other. If you started with just a worm farm, taking your waste and then use the worm we in your vegetable garden, and then so that would sort of enhance your soil without too much capital outlays. So when we built our house, we built with composting toilets. So we use the human waste. That's already a resource for us to utilize on fruit trees and things, you know. And then the big costs, obviously, we're fencing the property. And I don't think you can get away from that cost anywhere. But using our electric fences is much more cost effective with the mobile, the portable nature of them. You don't have to use that stuff. But Basically, every, every item has a cost, but like Roger said, the costs are often carried by two different things. So catching rainwater, but putting up a chicken hook, which is also a rabbit tree and a compost machine, that's probably our most cost-effective material outlay. As people who do not have a background in farming, would you recommend that aspiring regenerative farmers get an agricultural qualification before they start? Conventional agriculture these days, I think it might be becoming less relevant. Something like the Savory Institute's holistic livestock management is probably more valuable, assuming you want to go the livestock route. But there's just so much information out there on YouTube and books and the internet and that sort of thing. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but maybe it just depends how you learn. You know, if you learn better, but you're self-motivated. But I think learning on the fly and speaking to people and just networking and, and learning as you go is, is sufficient these days. We've got quite an extensive library. I've done a permaculture course, I did a beekeeper course, I did an aquaponics course. I don't think doing a degree or a diploma would be any more beneficial than what we've currently experienced. What kind of infrastructure is required when setting up a regenerative smallholding? When we started with a borrowed piece of ground from the minister, we lived next door to the complex we lived in. We had a few chickens and vegetables. We paid for the fencing and the little chicken coop. And then when we rented another plot, we put up fences and then built a little milking stanchion and got a cow, a little chicken coop. In a way, you can kind of keep adding on elements. Then when we moved to this place, this is the third year we've been there. Now our development expenses are dropping and our production is going up. The capital intensiveness, we didn't have to buy machinery or tractors or put up huge barns because our units are quite small. I think I struggled the most initially because if you have a cow, you can obviously handle her in the stanchion. So you have to build a milking stanchion. Do the fences with the first and the water systems to get water delivered to where you need it in the field. Later on with sheep and with calves, we discovered that you absolutely have to have a race or a crush of some sort. So you can handle the bigger animals in terms of medication and catching them. So we built a race and the loading ramp. We didn't have a loading ramp for a little while. It is definitely possible to make a plan, but it's not safe or fun to load animals without a loading ramp. 
On the vet side, it's less about infrastructure and more about methodology. But we do have drip irrigation, low pressure drip, so that can get quite expensive depending on how big your systems are. But yeah, otherwise it's more the way of doing things as opposed to the physical infrastructure. Finally, do you have any tips or pieces of advice for aspiring regenerative farmers? Read lots, spend a lot of time on YouTube, and then just start small. Start where you are. And if you're living in a flat and you've got a window box, start with that and then just grow organically. The regenerative movement is such a positive one. And there's such an amazing community of people who are so willing to share what they've learned. Better for the environment, it's better for your health, it's better for the health of the livestock or your plants. It's just a positive force. It's quite a cool thing to be part of. In the long run, it, it should be more profitable as well. Look around at opportunities and possibilities. So I know the holistic farmers, they often talk about looking at human capital and opportunities in your social environment and your context where you are. So if you can meet the need of the people around you or if you can match, like sought after in your areas. From my point of view, I think it's definitely worth just giving it a try and starting off small if you need to. Because like Roger said, I think being resilient and being sustainable and self-sustaining is something that's very accessible. Thanks, Nicole. And great having you here on Farmers Inside Track. Eastern Cape Regenerative Farmers, Karen and Roger Galloway. Now, understanding your farm's irrigation system and what works best for your production is vital, especially if you're a new farmer. Next up, Namwale Kalunga, Nitifum's technical advisor in Zambia, joins us to talk about how farmers can irrigate efficiently with limited resources. Namwale, welcome to Farmers Inside Track. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for having me. Now, I usually kick off by asking my guests to tell me a little bit about themselves, their journey in the agricultural industry, where it all started, and more about your position as technical advisor at Netafirm, actually based in Zambia. Thank you so much. Still quite a young gentleman, but been in the, in the irrigation industry for quite a while now. So my journey all started in, in 2011, where I finally now started practicing my agriculture engineering. So I studied agriculture engineering from a local school here in Zambia called Natural Resources Development College, an affiliate of the University of Zambia. So by profession, I'm actually an agriculture engineer and started my journey of practicing my agriculture engineering. That was in 2011. And since 2011 to today, I've been in the industry and seen a lot of changes in the way the industry is actually moving from where it was when I started and until where, where it is today. Now, Namwale, for many farmers, finding alternative cost-effective methods to operate is the ideal, but to reduce cost may lead to even more spending in the long run. Now, how can farmers work around this dilemma, um, especially when it comes to efficient irrigation? From the time that we started, we were more on a product-focused company we've developed precision irrigation. Now, what is precision irrigation? So basically, precision irrigation is just a unique uh, sustainable agriculture approach that allows the application of water and nutrients to the plants at the right time and place in small measured doses in order to provide it with optimal growing conditions. This in mind that we've now evolved into as, as Netherton precisely means that we have to then look at cost efficient irrigation in this case. We get a lot of questions to say, how then can you be as cost reflective as possible 
in as much as you are attaining the efficient irrigation. We've got several options, be it in the row crop industry, be it in the tree area. We've got various options that we actually put across that would help you to actualize this precision irrigation that we are talking about. So in terms of how can farmers work around this dilemma, especially when it comes to efficient irrigation, is that if you place cost as an ideal element in your choice of your irrigation system, it will then affect on how efficient that irrigation system is going to be in, in this case. So there are several factors that we have to look at and cost is just but one item that is looked at for us to actually practice efficient irrigation. So it's the crop that you intend to grow. Is it a high value crop? And if it's a high value crop, how then should you treat it in terms of how you would manage it? So it's such questions that once the farmer comes to us, we are able to ask them those questions. And once they give us those answers, we'll be able to actually guide them into finally an efficient irrigation system that would be based on their choice of crop that they want to work on. So if you come to us, we will ask you those questions. And in those questions, we'll be able to actually help you choose the effective way of irrigating. And in as much as it is effective, it is also efficient to be able to meet all the requirements that crop requires for it to grow and be on the market. On that point, I must agree that in my interactions with farmers, they're really opting for precision irrigation. And, you know, in their opinion, it does work better in the long run. Do you agree with this? And also, maybe you can highlight some of the options available for farmers, especially new farmers, you know, just starting out in the industry. What should they be considering? So basically, like I mentioned, in terms of what precision irrigation is, is all about, we want to apply water where it is needed at the right time. And also, in as much as we are just applying the water at the right time, at the right place, we also have to look at the nutrient application as well. Your choice of then an irrigation system will be influenced based on those three factors that I've actually mentioned. So with the application that is actually needed now, is especially the component of nutrient dosing. So an effective irrigation system or an efficient irrigation system must have such components embedded in them. So you'd find that in the long run, as you are practicing that precision irrigation, you will not have to worry about your loss of fertilizers, your chemicals when you're applying, because you will be applying them effectively with an efficient irrigation system. That's what would happen. So you would not be worried of issues to do with losses. That would be a thing of the past because your application, I'll give an example. We have what we call nutrient injectors as netophyll. So these nutrient injectors that we use, these are equipments where you can actually mix up your fats in, and then you'd be able to apply efficiently that fertilizer to your crop. So with such different technologies that we've devised and are using and keep on upgrading each and every time, it will actually help the farmers to really appreciate precision irrigation in the long run. Now, Wale, for many new farmers, they start with limited resources. What are the options to irrigate efficiently? We've got so many options on the card, whether you've got limited resources or you've got the actual resources on your cards in terms of what choice of irrigation system that you want to use. So we will be able to accommodate you in all those aspects. 
So if we pick now farmer that has re limited resources, so in this case, what we would do is would work around a system, first of all, that is efficient enough to be able to cater for that particular crop that he wants to grow. So in this case, if I picked an example of a farmer that wants to go into tree crops and to be precise, probably maybe macadamia, they will come and present their case to us and tell us exactly on how limited their resource is. But a system is going to be designed based on what their resource is that particular time. We will then even incorporate a system that would be based on the resource availability at that particular time of that farmer. So that's basically how then we would be able to make sure that even with his limited resource, would still be able to give him an efficient irrigation system as possible as we can. Nambole, in South Africa and other parts of Africa, electricity supply disruptions definitely cause havoc for many farmers and others in the value chain. What are the smart solutions Netifirm offers farmers to ensure uninterrupted operations? Like I mentioned in my preamble, where I started in terms of my irrigation, practicing my agriculture engineering to date, there's been so much that has been evolving. Populations are growing. And so there's been this high demand in terms of power supply and many governments are actually facing. So it's not only in South Africa, it will also be in the region as well in, in Sadiq. But at the end of the day, production should not stop. Production should continue. So as Netafilm, some of the solutions that we actually come in and offer, besides this problem of power shortage that we experience, are solutions that would be what we call off-grid solutions. And in this case, off-grid solutions would entail the use of solar irrigated systems that the farmers would be able to manage and work around efficiently without any thought of disruptions in terms of irrigating that particular crop that they would be irrigating. So this solution of a solar irrigated system is that we would work around the time when we would only have the sun in a day. And it's during that same period that would have the sun during the day that would allow irrigation to actually take place for that particular crop that the farmer is going to grow. In a case where you are both on grid and you would want an option of solar, that provision can actually be provided for you so that the moment you are off power, the solar can actually come in and help you do the irrigation system. So basically that would be one of our offerings to actually combat such a crisis. And for Mzansi farmers, that's definitely needed, Namwale. Now, in my experience, farmers, you know, innovate when facing any kind of adversity. What are some of the best ideas that you've seen, especially in the regions where you work? And then as we wrap up, do you have any final tips for farmers before we let you go? Innovation is key. Even from our side as Netafim, we really try by all means to promote innovation within our, our staff. This is one of the key areas that would only help us to actually understand the times that we are living in better. So some of the best ideas that we've seen around in the region that's actually working is, I did mention of the solar irrigated system in a challenging remote area where you don't have access to grid power. So that would be an option to actually think of, to say that this can actually work for you because we've seen it working it's a very good innovative practice of, of using a solar irrigated system. And also the other options that we have on the cards that we've seen that are working is these what we call poor farmers. We've seen that they've got limited resources when it comes to 
putting up such irrigation facilities. And in this case, I'm talking of where they're supposed to put up like a big farm for them to be able to irrigate a very, maybe one hectare portion, but they don't have that resource to actually do that. But other practices, innovative practices that we are promoting, and in this case, there's what we call a gravity-fed system. So you only need a slope to actually help you do your irrigation. So in this case, would pick an elevation of a tank and the tank stand, put at, of course, anything above one meter off the ground, and then you have your tank up there. So all you just have to do is just to come in and push your water into that tank. And it doesn't matter the size of a tank because we'll guide you on what size of a tank that you're supposed to use that would be able to actually irrigate a certain portion, would be able to guide you on that. But all you just need to do is just make sure that you avail a tank and a tank stand where you'll be pumping in that water. And once your tank is full, then you switch off your pump, and then you come in and start your irrigation. To the farmers, an efficient irrigation system will actually help you grow more with less. Now, what do we mean? When you will engage into an irrigation system, and in this case, efficiency as underlined as a keyword, you would be able to see a lot of benefits that would come in. For an example, if we picked one of our best precision irrigation systems as drip irrigation, it comes with so many benefits attached to it. Your weed controls will be drastically reduced in the field. You will be assured of a greater yield at the end of that produce of any particular crop. Your water application will be precise because you would only be applying water, remember, on those three things that I mentioned, at the right place, at the right time, and also effectively discharge your nutrients to where they actually needed in that root zone. So if you work around those things that I've mentioned, especially practicing that efficient irrigation, you will see that you would be able to actually solve a lot of problems that you might be going through now with the various systems that are not as efficient as what we've, we've discussed. Engages and we would be able to actually help you and guide you to a right selection of an irrigation system that would be able to actually work well with whatever crop that you are, you are growing. Even with your limited resource, we would still be able to accommodate that efficient irrigation system for you. I really enjoyed connecting with Namwale Kalunga, Netifum's technical advisor in Zambia. Now, as an added bonus, and if you missed it, Namwale added more on this topic in our Food from Zanzi weekly Twitter spaces called Gather to Grow, focused on the alternative energy options for farmers. You can visit Food from Zanzi's YouTube channel for more on this and also check out the detailed article on Food from Zanzi. Kulisa Madima's corporate background as an IT practitioner has really helped her with her family farming business, a subtropical farm in Limpopo. Now, farmers wear many hats. They're HR managers, financial managers, and farm managers. But this week, she's crowned our hashtag soil sister, and she's one of the dynamic women selected for the Koteva Woman Agripreneur 2022 program. Now, this is a year-long blended development program at the Gordon Institute of Business Science Entrepreneurship Development Academy. Kulisa, as I mentioned, you have a corporate background, but you come from a farming family. Where did it all start for you, and how did you end up being on the farm full-time? 
I'm the first daughter after my brother. We are five in the family. This is a family business. It started with my dad in 2004 in farming. The farm is a subtropical farm. It has lychee, mangoes, and when my dad was still there, it had avos. My dad ran it so successfully because by then he was doing exporting to Spain and Germany. We stopped exporting by the time he passed on because we had to renew the export. So I'm in process of renewing the exporting license, the global gap. We also do cash crop. Either people that know that we produce come to us and then we draw a contract depending on what they want in bulk. Before we were doing also petty pens, baby marrows, green beans, gem squash. So for now, we decided to only concentrate on baby corn and green beans because they are easy crops for the soil that we have. And then we rotate those. And also they pay very well and they were also in demand in bulk. So we are working on the market for people. I studied IT, business information systems, and then I did go into the corporate world. 2004, December, I started at the post office. I started as a junior business analyst, and then I started my own business in 2016, but I was working before as a consultant. It was quite a success. It was exciting times for me until COVID. COVID stopped the project because it involved a lot of contact going to the schools launching so that's when the project stopped and then because my mom took over the farm in 2013 when my dad passed on now she's saying she's old now she wants someone younger to take over so that is why now I'm hands-on I've always done their admin but now I'm going to the farm I'm trying to get contracts I'm running the programs that we have So there's a lot of opportunity at the farm. There's a lot that can be done. I started with my honors and going to master's. I want to integrate IT and agriculture. Agriculture and working in this industry is not as easy as people often make it out to be. What have been some of the challenges that you faced over the years and also maybe some of the factors that motivate you? Every day you learn something new. That's the truth. And what I've noticed was that there's a lot of wrongs that I need to get right. Like, yes, I was doing admin, but everything should be put in place. The global gap that I'm busy with, it is something that it could have been done. So you need to set goals and get things done, not to just say, no, we need this and this and this. And also the challenge has been everything that you need to do, it needs funding. My other goal is to be able to have this farm to be able to sustain itself. Because what happens is, yes, you make money when it's the seasonal time, those four months. But the rest of the months, farm has to maintain itself. Yes, there's cash crop, but every project that you are thinking of starting there's cash that needs to be a lot of cash and running of the farm it's many expenses in that so you then realize that no i need to go back to the drawing board and relearn how to manage the funds relearn how to, to have this farm 
self-sustainable to sustain itself. So those are the few challenges that I have been having. And also, because right now you are dealing with the manpower, like the workers every day, then you get to know the issues. The challenge here is you wear many caps. You deal with a lot of people that are very different. Their thinking is very different from you. So always having to motivate. You are wearing a cap of an HR manager. You are wearing a cap of a financial manager. You are wearing a cap of a farm manager. It's been quite a challenge. It's an experience on its own. But every day you learn. Every day you are making decisions. Every day. Sometimes the decisions that you need to make, you you cannot afford to make mistakes. It keeps you on your toes. Yeah, I'm always on my toes. Now we know that so many farmers give back to their communities. How has your farm done that? We do reward students that did very well. Like I'm able to get tablets for those that have passed very well in their metric because it's in an area where there's chiefs. So we go to the chieftaincy and ask for a list of those that did very well in metric and then we, we give them laptops. It depends on the year how we did. It's either laptops or tablets so that when they go to tertiary, they do have a laptop or a tablet. Besides that, there is also, you get seasonal farmers You hire between 60 and 100, depending on the produce, on the outcome of the yield for that year. When you do that, you are giving back to the community because they come and be part of the farm. They help you in harvesting. And then at the end of the harvest, we do pay them. But always, if there's extra, I always make sure that the money that we have put away for harvest I do give them extra. So there's always extra for those that were working in that season. And also it's people from different backgrounds. You want them to be strong. So what we do also is prepare them healthy meals. So we share a meal with them during the lunch. Because I've worked with CSIs, I've seen how much they contribute. There's still more I want to do, like be more involved in the schools around the area. Give them like the, those that need shoes, the girls that need pads. So that is a project for this year that I said, okay, let's also do this. And then before we let you go, do you have any advice to young women who aspire to farm? They need to identify what is it that they want to do. Which industry do you want to focus on? Is it producing fruits or vegetables or you want to go into poultry? Identify where you want to go. After that, research where you can get help. Like there are different departments. Okay, there's CEDA that is very helpful. Be part of these organizations that go on with us, the Subtrop, the Saga. The important thing is to register a company, get your things in order, like your paperwork in order. Before, if you are going to be planting do soil tests like know what you are going to go into try as much as possible to learn about it before you go into it get information information is very important and in that way you can be able to analyze information and make the right decisions go into the industry will suit you better
Thank you so much for joining us. Our hashtag soil sister, Kulisa Madima. She is one of the dynamic women selected for the Kotevo Woman Agripreneur 2022 program. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. Right through all departments and companies within the VKB Group, we know that farming is not just a job. It's a way of life. Let VKB help you in all aspects of the food value chain by efficiently reducing costs and optimizing value. Follow VKB on Facebook or vkb.co.za to find out how VKB can help you. VKB, for the love of the land. Now you know I can't let you go before sharing our Farmer Tip of the Week. Now this week we hear from Leona Archery. She's the CEO of the Agricultural Development Agency. I think one of the differences between the mega farmer at the moment and the smaller farmers is the efficiencies of scale, obviously, that your mega farmer is getting. So even in terms of how they can access inputs in the market, the market themselves that they make sure you know they have got before they actually begin to uh, engage in a particular commodity. And so from the small scale side, in terms of profitability, obviously the whole issue around higher input costs, their access to credit and their access to markets come some of the areas that they would have to consider as they get into any kind of farming venture. If smaller farmers begin to aggregate, begin to come together, that's where they begin to see the efficiencies in terms of scale and begin to lower their costs, which then obviously increases their profitability and increases their ability to better profit margins earlier. And our Farmer Tip of the Week from Leona Archery, CEO of the Agricultural Development Agency, brings us to the end of another exciting episode. Remember, if you loved this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. And be sure to check out our sister publication called foodforafrica.com for inspiration and news from across the continent. From me, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludolf and our producer, Megan van der Vent, and the rest of the Food from Zanzi team, have a great week. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.